Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sadaf Lodi. This episode is everything you need to know about sexual health and wellness. Before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is that I am not giving any type of medical advice or religious advice for that matter. So if you have any concerns about your health, please speak to your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please ask your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So welcome everyone. And I am so, so happy and grateful to have on with me, Dr. Maria Uloko. Am I saying that right, Dr. Uloko? Yes, that was perfect. Perfect. And um, Dr. Uloko is a superstar in the world of sexual health and wellness. And I thought she was a superstar even before her research came out. And now she's like a super, superstar. (laughs) (laughs) And and I am going to just give it up to you. I would love for you to introduce yourself and let all the viewers and listeners know where you are, what you do, what you practice. And then we'll get into the meat of the matter and talk about the amazing research that you and your uh, co-publishers and researchers just published. So take it away, Dr. Loco. Awesome. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you all so much for having me. Um, Very honored to be here. Um, My name is Dr. Maria Loco. I am a assistant professor at the University of California, San Diego. Um, I'm a urologist that specialized in comprehensive sexual health, which means that I take care of all genders um, in terms of the medical and surgical treatments for sexual dysfunction. I'm really passionate about quality of life um, and for my patients, understanding kind of what their ultimate goals are and getting them there. Um, And then I'm also really passionate about the advocacy behind the world of sexual health. Um, There is so much research. There is so much um, new discoveries to be had. And a lot of that new discovery ultimately directly has positive impacts for patients. Um, One of the things that was really eye-opening for me, um, I started my training as a urologist and I deal dealt a lot with male sexual health, female sexual health. Um, But it wasn't until my fellowship when I started, when I wanted to get a better grasp of all genders that I really saw that the huge disparities and the systematic ways that these disparities are um, persisted and how they directly affect patients. So that's always been my goal is to figure out how can we improve patient outcomes, improve access to care. Um, And for me, that avenue has been through research, Um, filling in the huge gaps that are there um, in order to improve our diagnostic and therapeutic treatments for patients. That is amazing. And that is so needed. And we know how important all that work is that you do. Um, And so I'm just going to get right into it and ask you about that research that you published that was quoted in the Colbert show. Tell us all about it. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, if we 
one of the things that was really exciting for me um, or kind of drives a lot of my goals and passions is just how little there is in terms of research. Um, you know, I, I really care a lot about patients' access to care and patient outcomes. Um, and one of the huge reasons is in barriers of care is just lack of knowledge, lack of knowledge in the medical community, lack of knowledge on the patient side. And so, you know, it's, it's fun to fill in these gaps and, um, one of the beauties about sexual medicine is that you work with so many different people. Um, I also collaborate with a lot of people just on the social justice end of things. Um, and, you know, after a particularly challenging or frustrating day, I think I was just having a rant with one of my co-author, who is the senior, the lead author, um, or the senior author on the paper, um, Dr. Blair Peters, who's a gender affirming surgeon. Um, and he, we were just, I was just kind of ranting at him, <laughs> honestly, about just kind of my frustrations with, um, where we're at in the world of sexual medicine. And I, and I gave him just kind of an overview of like the huge gaps. And one of them came up with about the clitoris. And I was like, we, you know, this structure was first fully defined in 2005 by Dr. Helen O'Connell. Um, but we still don't know how many nerves, like the number that is thrown around there is actually from a bovine study. Um, and we don't even know the human number. And, you know, based off of his practice, and he is very specialized. He's a plastic surgeon, gender affirming surgeon, and a peripheral nerve mm. surgeon. So one of the only in the world, I believe, um, at least definitely the only in North America, um, and does a lot of phalloplasties, which is where we take the clitoris and create a penis from it. Um, and he, because of his ability to work with nerves, he takes those nerves um, in order to improve sensation. And he's like, there's, there are paired structure, there's excess nerves, we can sample those nerves, and we can actually count how many nerves are in the human clitoris. So um, this, this, this is how the study came about. Um, it's just, you know, sharing ideas. I have my own skill set, he has his own yeah. skill set. And then we brought in our third author, um, uh, Dr. Paige Isabay, who is a gynecologist um, in Manitoba. And, you know, I think between the three of us, we really wanted to make this research as comprehensive as we could. Um, and in touching on three big specialties that take care yes. of the vulva, um, plastic surgery, um, gynecology and neurology. So it was really awesome to collaborate with these people, people I consider friends already, but then also to make we, I mean, when we got together, we're just, we feel like a ragtag group of people. Um, so it's just, it's just wild to see our, our research, um, you know, be so publicized and be so appreciated. It, it really does make kind of the, the blood, sweat and tears um, so worth it. It's amazing. Well, it's just, you know, it's actually mind blowing, first of all, right? And so if you just want to let the listeners and the readers, um, you know, viewers know what exactly your research found out um, about the clitoris. Yeah, so um, what we found out about the clitoris is that, you know, the, the old number of, it has 8,000 nerves, you know, highly, highly sensitive uh, structure is actually there's way more nerves than we previously thought. So um, 
our research found that the, the clitoris has over 10,000 nerves. And, and we say over 10,000 nerves um, because we are only able to count a specific type of nerve. There are other types of nerves in the clitoris, but that are just too small to count based off of the current technology that we have to actually count nerves. So this is just so, you know, in terms of like, what does this mean for the general population? I think you know, each of us take take this to mean something differently. So for Blair, um, he, like I said, he does nerve surgeries. So this is potential for, these are potential treatment options. These are potential um, treatment options for iatrogenic uh, clitoral injuries down the road. Because um, first you have to establish anatomy mm-hmm. before you can even then start doing Absolutely. treatments. But for me, this was really more symbolic. Um, uh, obviously, I'm not a nerve surgeon, but I do um, operate on the clitoris um, and I do examine the clitoris, but really just kind of the principle of vulvar anatomy and physiology. Mm-hmm. There are so many things about the vulva that people still don't know. And as practitioners um, that is are either operating or taking care of people with vulvas, like we should know these things because these directly lead to patient outcomes. And so this just feels so power and powerful that we are helping to establish and reestablish more information about the vulva and drawing attention to the fact that, you know, we, we, we in medicine think that everything is already set in stone, that everything's already been discovered, that there's no, there's no room for medical discovery when it comes to just kind of basic physiology and anatomy. But if we really look at the history, we actually missed a ton of things <laughs> and need to go back and and go and and actually revise yeah. it so that we can which so that we can then treat our patients better and have better outcomes for our patients is really my biggest driver. Yeah. And you know, like what you said in the beginning, right? Like with sexual medicine, there there are so many gaps. And specifically when it pertains to female medicine, right? When it comes to female sexual medicine, I feel that there are huge gaps. And we know that most of the research that's been done on sexual medicine has been done with white men, right? And that's most of our research in medicine has been done on white men. And uh, we know so little about women and so little about women of color that your research has huge implications in terms of, I mean, and you know this, I don't, you know, in terms of female pleasure, in terms of just literally it's, you know, the way that we always describe the clitoris is the tip of the iceberg, but this, you know, the nerves, learning about the nerves and what you said is just, you know, that it's more than 10,000. That in itself tells you that that's like the tip of the, you know, iceberg literally and figuratively. Yeah. Yeah. The clitoris is a, a very special structure. And, and I think, again, it highlights the fact in our medical education that we're not taught how to examine the clitoris. Um, this very important um, anatomical structure in terms of female sexual health and vulvar sexual health. And just, just yeah, we just aren't taught how to examine it or, or, or you know, look at the structures. And it's like, wh- why? You know, it's anatomy. You should, it's like us not being taught about the heart or the knee. Yes. Like it should all be the exact same thing. But because we have this weird um, 
dogma, this weird puritanical culture of where we don't talk about sex. It's like, then we're just ignoring science. Like, and that to me just has never felt right. Like we have, we're, this is science, like take whatever cultural nonsense you have and take it away from this because this is just purely science at this point in time. And, you know, I agree with you a hundred percent and to your point, right. About just what our culture is, what the stigma we have around sex and the taboo, even just in this Western society, right. Discussing sex and it's in the media. And what we see is definitely much different than what people actually experience and there's just so much information, misinformation out there that it's so important for people such as yourself, researchers that are doing this great work to have that information publicized and made accessible to everyone so that people can understand what exactly is going on. I mean, to your point, I don't I don't even think I I learned about the clitters. Honestly, I even as a gynecologist, I'm like, I don't know. Did I even learn about it? I mean, gosh, you know, I feel like only now recently people are starting to talk about it. And, you know, it's only through research as, such as the one that you conducted um, that we're hearing about it, right? And that there was a New York Times article about it, but we just don't discuss female sexual health. It, there is such a huge taboo and, um, you know, we can go into so many reasons why, but yeah, I think that it's really important to have people such as yourself dispelling all those myths. Um, what do you find most when patients come to you? You know, what what are things that they often their say their chief complaint is when they come and present to you? Yeah, so I um, I'm the director of our Volvar Sexual Health Clinic. So um, I would say my practice is in terms of that specific clinic, I would say fifty to sixty percent um, sexual pain, um, and that has really shaped. I, I think taking care of those patients has really shaped, you know. It, my views on research and my views and 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 why I do this work, because one thing that I found so fascinating. So in my fellowship, it was, um, you know, I, I went to one of the only the not one of the the only fellowship program that also does um, vulvar sexual health and female sexual mm. health. And so, Where is that? <laughs> um, uh, San Diego sexual medicine, um, with Dr. Erwin Goldstein, who is, um, considered the, like the huge, a huge kind of the forefather of sex. He, he was the Viagra guy. And then after that, he then realized that like, he kept getting a lot of hail, hate mail from women who's like, whose husbands were being taken care of from a sexual health standpoint, but they weren't being taken care of. And he's like, you ruined my life. And he's like, Oh, and so from there, he realized that no one was taking care of women. And so he created all of these avenues, including the International Society of the Study of Women's Sexual Health, created a fellowship program. And, you know, anyone that's uh, all the kind of big names in, in female sexual health all have come from his fellowship, which is it feels great to be part of that dynasty. But you once you once you start working with these patients and you realize that they have such huge barriers to care, like because our, our clinic is cash pay. And so something for me, I've always had like a heart for, I'm an immigrant. I came from a very like uh, disenfranchised background. Um, I used to run a free health um, uh, clinic in medical school. Like those, that's, that's who I'm always yeah. kind of thinking about. I always think about who's not sitting at the table. Right. And so, you know, I was taking care of a lot of people with 
access um, and even they couldn't get care. And, you know, it was always the same thing. I've been to so many providers. I can't get a diagnosis and all of these things. And I was like, what is happening? Right? Like we used to take care. I mean, we also take care of really complex patients, but a lot of them weren't all that complex. It was very simple diagnosis and then a very, like very straightforward treatment. And so, you know, I was just kind of perplexed. And when I'm perplexed, I go and back to history and figure out what's going on. And so I went to the literature, I went back in history and I realized that there are so many structural chain, like structural, um, issues, historical issues that prevent people from getting the appropriate care. And, it, and a lot of it stems from education and lack of research. So um, that's why I went into academia to educate and to, to do research because this is how we make change. So um, because I see predominantly a lot of pain, um, including patients with recurrent UTIs, including patients with interstitial cystitis, that has really shaped um a lot of my research and a lot of my focus. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I definitely hear what you're saying about like the systemic racism that is even in, is definitely in medicine. Right. And when we look at the history and like you said, you know, always going back to the history and there is so much racism within medicine. Um, And I think that that's amazing that you focus on that. Um, I'm wondering how does the, how did this research that you did on the clitoris, you know, I'm a little bit curious to find out how has that impacted, say, your career? Are you having more women reach out to you? Are you having other researchers reach out to you? How has this uh, much publicized research impacted you? You know, that's such a fascinating question. I'm not sure yet. Um, <laughs> that is, that is. I think it's still in the the nascent phase of it getting out there, you know, um, I, you know, I think we, we were so fortunate that we won two, um, awards at the International Society of Study, like the International Sexual Medicine, which is, again, if you had asked me when I was in residency, um, I was not a researcher. I was someone that thought I was going to go into private practice. I thought I was just going to go to work and go home. Um, I, you know, then I found what I really loved. I found things like things that I'm really passionate about. And I went from, I'm not a researcher to, I guess I'll figure it out. (laughs) And that's why I love collaboration because I have strengths. um, And I'm also still learning and growing. And that's where collaborators fill in. Like we all work very well together. I I love working with this research team because, you know, my strengths is their weakness. Their weakness is my strength. Um, And so we were able to fill this in. So, you know, we have ideas for more research down the road. Um, but I think the, the, the funny thing is, is that we're all one to two years into practice. Um, so we still have to sit for our boards. Right. I would, I would think, but no. Yeah. So um I am having to say no to a lot of things in the in the upcoming months, just because, like I said, I still have a lot of these kind of uh, uh, urologic obligations yeah. that I still have to get through. Yeah. Um, and I understand I'm so privileged and like so lucky. Again, I just I I still pinch myself that this actually happened. That I get to sit here and do this so early in my career. Um, 
and it's it's wild. I mean, I still like I still remember having conversations and just having like kiki moments because Blair and I are really good friends, um, and just being like, okay, let's keep moving, let's keep going, let's keep going, and let's keep pushing and. Yeah, it's just wild. It's wild. Um, so I don't know what the full implications of them yet is. I'm just kind of like sitting in it and just kind of flabbergasted that it actually happened. And one of the most serendipitous things is that I was also then asked to write an opinion piece about clitoris Ooh. by a Journal of Sexual Medicine, but they had no idea we were also doing the nerve oh, study. And so it was so beautiful. It, it just got accepted yesterday. Um, and that was a lot of hard work, sweat and tears too, um, because it's an opinion piece. And so, you know, I, it was hard to actually put into words the the passion and the things that I see every day in clinic and what I've learned from history, what I've learned being a Black woman in medicine, all of these things and putting it into writing and how it has directly affected patients was really challenging. And I asked Blair to be my co-author. Um, and so, you know, and we're both very passionate advocates about things. So, you know, sometimes we'd have to like change our language, <laughs> like appease people and, um but yeah, it was just it was just amazing and beautiful that we actually then got to explain our why behind the research, and it's going to be published like right back to back, and That's it's just awesome. yeah, it it, it is. It was so yeah. serendipitous. Like this year has been the year of the clitoris in my personal <laughs> life of just like all just all things clitoris and research. So That's great. That's great. You know, I'm wondering, so how how does this research impact your advocacy work? I know that you're a huge advocate also for getting, you know, the word out about vulvar health and anatomy and also about uh, reproductive justice. So how does this impact that? Uh, it's actually been one of the most amazing things. Um, so I... I, I don't know. I, I used to play sports. Um, I still very much consider myself an athlete. And one of the things I loved about sports is the teamwork approach of things. And I'm also a strategist. I don't like, I just, I don't know why I feel this way, but I'm also very much like, okay, I need to get to a goal. How can I get, get that goal? This person's good at this. This person's good at that. Like we all fill our roles. And one of the things about this work is that there are so many people in different lanes, all working and striving for the same thing. So um, through this research, I've met, I mean, I, I was already involved in like advocacy groups, um, but, you know, it's been so great that I get this platform to then say, also, by the way, just so you know, the research for guy and vulvar care is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Join us. Patients are suffering. You know, what, what you think you know, you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. And I'm letting you know that there's a real huge issue and we all have to band together to fix this and to have that platform i mean what this there have been a lot of reporters that have been really interested in this and you know initially they were very much like well what does this mean for patients from like the long term and i was like okay that's a blair question but as a me person that's constantly seeing um patients that are you know crying in my office every single day because of the trauma the medical gaslighting that happens and just living with cr chronic pain that isn't technically chronic if they just had appropriate diagnosis right. and treatment. 
I like have like taken off on that and just being like, hey, listen, we're doing a bad job as a medical community. We need to be doing better. And so having, you know, media to be able to then have that platform, advocacy groups, then, you know, feel more empowered to then, you know, take off with that narration. It's been one of the most beautiful things. And I just, can't thank everyone enough that is involved in this, like in, in their own way. Um, and I feel like I play a very small part in in the greater good. Um, I actually have a mission statement on that I look at my mirror every day. Uh, see, I will probably cry. Like this year has been <laughs> like a lot um, in terms of that, like literally um, – that is, I am here, like the reason I do this work that I do, the reason I'm like, you know, <laughs> pushing myself to so many things is I'm here to change the narrative of medicine in order to create a more equal and fair um, platform for everyone when it comes to sexual health. And, you know, that mission statement, I'm living it right now. And that awesome. is, I'm so freaking lucky, like, and so blessed. It's amazing. I think that is amazing that you have that mission statement and that you, that you're living out your why, right? Very few of us get to live out our why or even know our why. So I think the fact that you know it and you're living it, but, but you know what the amazing thing is, it's almost like you're manifesting it, right? Because you look at it every single day. So then the things that you do, the opportunities that come your way, they almost come your way because you are living out your why. So it's almost like the universe is being attracted yeah. to what your why is and lifting you up so that you can do what you know you feel your purpose is. And I think that's just awe-inspiring. So thank you for doing all that you do. I think that is just amazing. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, I, I am a small player in, in yeah. this um, big, big yeah, game. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And, you know, what's very important, right, I think also is for girls of color to see you, right? So uh, I know that you and I met at a conference at the American College of Osteopathic OBGYN conference this past March. And, you know, usually we, when I go to these conferences, I usually see, you know, people that are white and there's nothing wrong. With, and I appreciate everyone, you know, but for me to see you up there, you know, was just, I thought this, this is the woman that I need to follow and I need to know because she is just amazing. But not only are you just an amazing as a person, but what you represent and the, I think the, the hope and the courage you bring to other women, women of color, I think is very, you know, just can't be downplayed. I think that you bring a lot um, to the table and I'm so glad that you are at the table and that, you know, it becomes more inclusive, right? And so when people see you doing the work, then they become empowered to also do the work and, you know, and, and we all benefit, right? We all benefit. We all benefit from the research that you've done with Dr. Blair. And I think it's only, you know, it's, it's a win-win for everyone. Um, I'm also interested in knowing, you know, what um, you feel about, and, you know, this is a whole nother topic that I have gotten, um, and I don't want to delve too much into it because I know that this, we could talk about this for hours, is, um, you know, FGM, female genital, female genital mutilation, and how that uh, plays a part in the clitoris, right, and the research that you've done, and how perhaps reconstructive surgery 
could help these women, you know, and I just wonder, and I don't know if we have an answer to that, but I'm wondering if, if you would know, um, you know, based off of the research and the nerves that, you know, you've seen, and I don't know, I'm just curious to know, and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, in terms of that, um, we, and we comment on this in the paper, um, is that this, this here, the, this understanding how many nerves, yeah. um, and, and like, I'm going to preface it again. I am not a nerve surgeon. Gosh, I'm not a personal nurse surgeon. Yeah. So Blair would be the better one to, to answer this question. But from what, what we talk about is that, you know, just understanding anatomy yes. and physiology first is what's going to lead us into more surgical innovation. And it's people like Blair, Dr. Peters, who has is just one of the most innovative and and hardest working people I've ever met and has such a heart for humans. Um, and that is that those are the people that are going to be changing the surgical field that near that surgical narrative that's going to be pushing the envelope in terms of the potential for recovery um, after FGF um, after, after, during the repair um, for female genital mutilation. So, you know, as of right now, this number, if we kind of just think about it as this is our baseline, um, we just are, this is step one. Um, and then, you know, hopefully we'll have long fruitful careers, um, where we can then start increasing our innovation, but this is where having a lot of players mixing people in the field, because people are bringing in ideas. This is like, this is the whole renaissance of, of, research to me of like, okay, we can actually be creating such amazing things. Like how wild is that? Like not the saying that we're going to be the next penicillin, but like, you know, when I was doing my retrospective chart reviews and residency of six patients, like that wasn't all that fun. But the fact that we could potentially create something that's going to change the narrative and change how we do things in medicine is, is amazing. Um, and just so exciting. And so, and, and it's not going to be just the two of us. It's going to take a whole village. And there are so many people that are so brilliant um, and have such different ideas. Like that's what I loved about this this project is that it was cross collaboration between so many specialties. Mm. Um, and it's so funny because what I've noticed in medicine is that everyone works yes. in silos. Um, and it's it's even funnier as a urologist because we have decided that we have the urethra and then everything else is gynecology. I was like, y'all, we should be working together. Like this is all of our domain. Um, and it, it, if we all work together and hold like all the things that we know, don't know, fill these things in, it, it, this is how we make progress. This is how we help patients. And I think it's always having, what is my North star? And it's, it's to help patients um, that, really does does ground me that's amazing i love that you know and i i agree with you so much that everyone does work in silos right but just look at what amazing work you put together when you all collaborated together a urologist gynecologist and a, a, a nerve specialist right a reconstructive surgeon as well so so you also do gender affirming surgery at ucsd um talk to us a little bit about that so 
Yeah. So I actually don't do, I, I don't do the gender affirming surgery anymore. I was trained in it in residency, yeah. but um, I didn't do any formal post residency okay. training um, other than a little bit of vaginoplasty. But what I, what my focus is, um, is on the research side of right. things. Um, because I have the understanding of what happens during the surgeries, sure. um, I, know exactly the questions that I can be asking. Um, because to me, this is all just anatomy. Um, you know, obviously it has significant um, significance for the individual, but I look at it from a scientist standpoint of, okay, well, that structure is taken out during this procedure. That's the structure that I need to examine. You know, like it, it's just wow. very, it's, I think about it from a very technical standpoint. Yeah. And the other thing too, is I like to bring humanity into medicine. Yes. So I, I, and this is where diversity matters. So I come from a very non-traditional medicine family, poor immigrant, you know, just, I made my way here. And because of that, I have a lot of life skills. I have a lot of life lessons um, and practicality. And it's like, okay, well, we have, if you look at the literature, we have so many, um, we have so many articles about like the aesthetics of the genitals, which is very important. The in, in theory functionality of the genitals, which is also very important. But how are people actually having sex? Like how like we we spend so much time to create these new genitals and give people the confidence in life, but then how are we actually? how are they actually learning, you know, and very much like, and, and I think I know this because like people with cis people don't even know how to have sex appropriately because of our very, um, not appropriately, but they don't even know how to have sex to the point where they're actually having yeah. pleasure. Um, and so I, I can't imagine having brand new genitalia and learning how to have pleasure, right? And so that's where my research focuses in too, is, you know, looking at the post-operative outcomes and the quality of sure. life. That's, I mean, quality of life is, sex is about quality yes. of life. Um, and it can be also about making life, but I also, I look at it from the quality of life standpoint. Um, and so that's where, you know, a lot of my research questions are coming from is like, how are we actually supporting our patients after they have gender affirming surgery. Um, and a lot of people just haven't thought about that. They just really thought about, okay, is it the biggest, the best, the da, 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 These are all very important, but you know, I then have people coming into my office saying like, how do I use it? I'm like, okay, all right, let's work through this. Let's figure this out. You know? And so that, that's, that's what gives me joy. Um, and building that into my practice has been very, very just, awesome. I love, I love my patients. That's awesome. That reminds me actually of uh, something one of my friends once said this, you know, it's a little bit, uh, it's analogous to that where, you know, when you always have like single people, so you're always trying to set them up. And then finally, when they get married, nobody asks about them after they're married, right? <laughs> like they just try to set <laughs> yes. them up, yeah. but nobody cares afterwards. So it's kind of like what you're talking yeah. about, you know, people do the surgery, but then nobody asks, how are they doing after that? What happened? You know, what, what happened to them Yeah, and what's going on with their lives? So it's a very good point, right? And nobody really thinks about that. So I think that's very important. Um, I was just speaking with Dr. Rahman. Um, I'm sure you do. You probably mm -hmm. know her. Uh, love yeah, her. Yeah. So yeah. I just uh, was speaking with her and she was also speaking about um, implicit bias and um, how we don't talk about that and women of color and things like that. And, and I'm wondering, you know, have you noticed that in your research as well? 
with um, different research that you've looked at in terms of vulva and um, and exploring that, you know, female genitalia? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. If we look, just look at the history of gynecology, it is a specialty that was rooted on misogyny, yes. paternalism, yes. and racism. Um, they did a lot of their experimentations on Black women. Um, and so, you know, if you just look at it from that lens, that's how this whole field started. And, you know, it hasn't gotten better. And if we look at then NIH funding um, for research, it has essentially been very exclusionary to just all women um, and, and, you know, all minorities, whether it's gender minorities, whether it's sexual minorities, that's just how it has been to the point where they've had to create mandates um, in order to ensure that funding is allocated appropriately. But that is now undoing all of, so essentially the basis of medicine <laughs> doesn't include anyone other than cis wow. white men. And yeah. so that when you just like think about it from that standpoint, you know, again, I just think of research as advocacy yeah. is like, I'm actually getting to um, bring in different voices, bring in different people, like, and do this research yeah. in, in an ethical and safe way um, where I'm doing it for the greater good um, and not exploitation. That's the thing. That's the yes. big thing that we also really focus on and hyper focus on are really always thoughtful. Um, and we're never going to get it right. Like we're not always going to get it right. And, um, you know, having a lot of humility of, you know, I, I think having intention is good, but also understanding that sometimes your outcomes and, um, may hurt people or, you know, or some people might take it the wrong way or whatever, but at least being able to say, okay, I see that. I'm sorry. This is what I meant. And I will do better next time. You know, so, you know, as we're moving forward, as we're doing, as I'm doing a lot of research with all genders, with all of these things, like I'm not always going to get it wrong. We're not always going to get it right. I'm not always going to get it wrong. And I'm not always going to get it right. But um, it's having humility, understanding that we're tr always trying to include everyone um, and, you know, trying to do our best. But it, it is very exciting that I get to to actually say who is not seated at the yes. table and and then change that narrative from there. That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and I'm so glad that you are out there and that you're doing all this research, such important research. And especially for people that have been left behind, right? And people that have not ever had themselves represented and had, that have not had research done for them. And so I think it's so important that you're there um, doing that research. And of course, you know, we don't want to lay, put the burden all on you to get all this done. You know, it, it behooves all of us in medicine to work toward the same goal. And I just absolutely love your why. So, you know, I know that we're nearing the end of um, the show, but I, you know, I'd love for you to state your why again, because I, I feel like you are just the embodiment of it right now. And I, I just think that it's so important to have, you know, a why. And um, and I really appreciate that you have a great one. So if you don't mind sharing it yeah. again, I'd, I'd love to hear it again. 
Yes. And so this, this practice came from Kemi Dahl. Um, if I don't know if people know about her, but she's a professional um, physician coach, um, pre- predominantly for women of color. Um, and this is a practice of hers, but um, of, of, you know, understanding and naming your why. Um, and so my why is that I want to change the narrative of sexual medicine um, to increase patient outcomes and to increase patient access um, and make me- make sexual medicine more diverse um, and um, ultimately help people. That's that's really what it is. And that's what you're doing. So I think that that is amazing. Um, I think that you are, are you again going to be at the American College of Osteopathic OBGYNs? Yeah. Yes, it's in San Diego. Yeah. So yes, I will yes, be Yes, I was asking them about sexual medicine and they said, oh, we have a speaker. So I was like, I knew it had to be you. Because <laughs> 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 so uh, no. I'll be there again. So yeah. I'll to see you again in person. Awesome. Excellent. Yes. Excellent. Yes, we should definitely connect when Absolutely. you're here. Absolutely. So, well, thank you so, so much. Are there any takeaways or anything that you'd like for the audience and the viewers to know before we... Um, are done with the podcast. I mean, I just, you know, first and foremost, I want to thank you for your time and, you know, all the time and energy that you put into your research and your love of sexual medicine and how you're furthering the science uh, behind it and the research behind it. You know, I want to thank you for everything that you're doing and I really appreciate your work. Um, But I'd like to give you a few moments just if you'd like anything that you'd like to say. And oh, and please tell people how they can follow you how they can get in touch with you and um you know just appreciate everything that you've done oh well thank you um let's see uh you know i i am yeah i just again i'm like pinching myself i just am coming to the at this with a spirit of gratitude um just i can't believe that one year after having this idea that it, it's come to this, could never have thought about mm-hmm. that. Um, and really, I just, I call everyone to join us in the research fight and join us. If you have a clinical question, if you've ever thought about something, again, I was someone that never thought of myself as doing research or calling myself a researcher. Um, and, you know, fast forward a year, I'm winning international prizes in research, you know, which again, if you had told me, Two years ago, when I was finishing residency, that this would be the case, I would have laughed in your face. And, and so it's it's just like finding what you're passionate about. And and for me, you know, the slog of research makes it all worth it because there is a mission statement, because there is a greater good and a greater purpose. And it does help that I'm doing it with people that I really do um, love and cherish and have a lot of fun with, and that we work well together. Um, but yeah we would love to have more people in because there's just, there is just so much that needs to be done. And there's just amazing organizations that can, can help with this. Um, one of them is ISWISH. Um, the other one is we have a, for any medical students or anyone that wants to get involved in the research from a medical student standpoint, um, or fellow standpoint or trainee standpoint, we have, um, 
uh, SMRT, which was started by Dr. Rachel Rubin, um, who's also one of the big four leaders in, in uh, sexual health. Um, and that is we meet on the first Sunday every every month um, to discuss research ideas. And, and it's just been so fascinating and awesome to see such you know, our young learners getting involved and ready. Um, And then if you have, um, if you want to follow me on social media, I've gotten, I've been bad at social media because I've been working (laughs) and studying. Um, (laughs) But I am, my Instagram, my public Instagram is MariaLocoMD. And then my Twitter, I think is, let me just make sure, um, is at Maria Yuloko. Um, and then if anyone has um, any questions, feel free to DM me. I will I will find them at some point. Awesome. You're awesome. Well, thank you so, so much again for joining us and um, letting everyone know about the research and all the hard work and um, information that you're putting out there for us. So thank you so much. And well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you might have. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsalif.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thank you.